Uh, Blake and I and our wives had a great trip to uh, Chicago, visiting another church. We learned a lot. We're going to send out a little letter to the congregation, kind of outlining some things we learned from that trip. Uh, But let me just say, I'm glad I don't live in Chicago. (laughs) Great to be back home. A few years ago, I had a student come up to me and he asked me a question. He said, Brian, will you disciple me? And, you know, of course, the right answer is yes, because that's what the church does, right? We make disciples. It's the great commission and everything, make disciples of all nations. But I had to confess that I didn't really know what he was asking, and I didn't know where to begin. I had a seminary degree, a master's degree that took me four years to finish, studied Greek and Hebrew. I was on staff at a church, but I really didn't understand the process of the fundamental work of the church, which is discipleship. And in uh, my travels and conversations with pastors throughout the world, I've discovered that most paid professionals in ministry do not know how to do the fundamental work of the church, which is personal discipleship. Most churches do not have an intentional plan for moving someone from spiritual birth to maturity. So I told the student, yes, I said, yes, I will, but I don't really know what we're doing, so be patient. We're going to kind of figure this out together. And that really began my journey of, of studying and thinking about the process of personal discipleship and how we train people in the church to make disciples. And in that process, I learned that there are two really fundamental components that, that you have to get going right at the start. The first is you have to have a goal. What's the point? What's the objective? It was at that point in time that I adopted one of my favorite life statements, which is, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it every time. You know, if you don't know where you're going, you will not get anywhere that's important or valuable. What's the point? What does a disciple need to look like at the end of this process? And process is the second key component. How do you move through this thing from spiritual birth to spiritual maturity. And I will tell you without hesitation, my, my desire, my, my goal, my aim for this church body is that every man and every woman would not just become a disciple of Jesus Christ, but would know how to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is my aim. That's my objective. If someone walks up to me on a Sunday morning and they have heard the gospel and they've responded to the gospel, and this does happen, Every semester, people hear the gospel in a worship service. They hear that Jesus died for them, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. They just believe in that. And their sins are forgiven and they receive eternal life. They come up and say, I have believed. I believe that. I just made that decision. I want to be able to turn to any one of you and say, would you disciple this man? Would you disciple this woman? And you just say, absolutely. Let's get started. You know where you're going and you know how to get there. And so this morning, I just want to talk briefly about discipleship. First, what is the goal? Well, Paul states it pretty succinctly in Colossians 1.28. He says, we proclaim him, that is Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's the goal, complete in Christ. Another translation of complete is mature. It's the Greek word teleos. It's the end. It is Maturity. In Galatians, Paul puts it differently. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Sometimes we talk about discipleship as spiritual formation because it's the spirit of Christ forming the character of Christ within us. It's not just 
changing and conforming our outward behavior to something that's acceptable to the Christian community, but it's becoming transformed inwardly. So what we do and what we say, but also what we think and what we feel in our entire value system becomes conformed to the character of Christ, or the character of Christ is reflected through our own personalities. Now notice again, back in Colossians 1.28, simple observation, but Paul says this, we proclaim him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is God's goal for every single one of us. For every single one of us. In the natural world, it is normal for a baby to go on to maturity. To leave the house and to live on his own or her own. That's natural. That's normal. When it doesn't happen, you go, oh, something's wrong here. Right? If you walk up to a couple and they're holding their lovely baby and you say, well, it's a lovely baby. Because you have to say that, even if the baby isn't, because not all babies are. But you say it anyway, right? That's the socially acceptable thing. What a lovely baby you have there in your arms. How old is your baby? And they say, 12. And you get, what? Something's wrong here. Development has not occurred because what's natural for a human being? To move on to maturity. That's natural. That's normal. Now, how does it occur? Well, you know, it actually goes through several pretty predictable stages. What are the processes of discipleship? First, for each and every one of us, we have to commit to discipleship. Okay, commit personally that the Great Commission isn't just a great thing for the church, this organization. But for the church, that is the people. Discipleship is for us. Maturity is for us, every single one of us. So we commit first to becoming fully formed and mature, not perfect, but fully formed and mature followers of Jesus Christ. And we commit ourselves that our legacy in life will not be found simply in our jobs, but in the people that we have invested in. We will become disciple makers. And I want to challenge you, starting a new semester, think about your own life. Where do you personally need to grow? And then think about your own life. Where will you personally invest in someone else? Commit to discipleship because it's the work of the church. And this is, this is Christ's only strategy for spreading his glory throughout all the nations. It is discipleship. So it begins with making a choice, a commitment. Then we lay a foundation for faith. That is spiritual birth. Someone hears the gospel and they move out of darkness into light. They move from death into life. Do you know how to present the gospel so clearly that no one is confused and they know how to respond? Can can you get to the point in 30 seconds or three minutes? Jesus died. He really died. We know it because he was buried. He rose from the dead. God raised him, demonstrating that he had made a full and final payment for all of our sins. And if we believe in him, we share in that resurrection life and our debt is removed. Can you get to the point and share the gospel? You know, recently I was, I was sitting next to one of the members of our church and uh, he, was ha- he got into a spiritual conversation with someone and I was eavesdropping. But the great thing was nobody knew that I was eavesdropping because I had already been sitting there at that point in time. And so I had my book out and I'm just reading, but not actually reading. I just stopped reading and I'm just listening to this conversation. It was, it was great to be undercover, right? And just, I'm just enjoying hearing this. And, and this member of our church was, you know, just really respectful and just gently moved the conversation into 
spiritual matters and began to answer questions and ask questions and presented the gospel very clearly. And I just sat there and, and it was totally inappropriate for me to step in and try to offer a better answer, right? Or try and help guide the conversation because then it would be discovered that I was eavesdropping. And so I just sat and I listened and I prayed. And I said, God, push back the powers of darkness and protect this moment. Protect this moment so that this person will clearly hear the gospel and respond. Maybe this, Lord, would be the day of salvation. And I just sat and I prayed and I listened and I rejoiced. that one of our members clearly understood how to state the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to lay a foundation for faith to get the process started? Let me give you a verse. One of my favorite verses, another life verse that relates to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul said, having so fond an affection for you, Thessalonian believers, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Paul said, we wanted to give you not just the truth, we wanted to give you our lives. And, and, and he did. He and his, his workers that came along with him, uh, they loved the Thessalonian believers. They sacrificed for them. They served them. They recognized, you know, sometimes you can just drop off a tract Somebody finds it on the ground and they believe, but most of the time it's, it's life on life with a friend or a family member or a neighbor and it takes days and months and weeks and years of being faithful and consistent to love and to speak truth. That's the first part of the process. Lay a foundation for faith and then build a framework for the faith. What does a baby need? A baby needs milk. When a baby is born, the baby needs milk. Baby doesn't need meat. We never threw a slab of meat on our kid's tray of the high chair, you know, because then they'd have to have a knife too and high chairs and knives. We don't. We didn't do that, right? We were good parents. Said, "Here's your milk. We'll start here with the milk." It was our desire that they would move to meat, but we just started at that point. A, a brand new believer needs milk. They need to know how to begin to talk with God, how to pray. They need to know that eternal life is secure, that it's safe because God is faithful. Because, you know what, they won't be continuously faithful. They need to have a sense of eternal security. They need to know some basic doctrines of the faith. The deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. The eternality of God. They need to begin to have this framework so as they read the word, they can hang their their concepts on on these big ideas of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They need to be grounded in the essentials. They need to be protected. Just as a baby needs to be protected and cannot protect himself or herself, a brand new believer is often coming out of relationships that are unhealthy, maybe coming out of a situation where they have no Christian friends whatsoever. They need fellowship. They need to understand how to get plugged into the Christian community and find family there as well. So we lay a foundation for faith. We build a framework for faith. And then we cultivate ownership of faith. I remember several years ago, Tristy and I overslept and we woke up and we realized that we had overslept and we went out into the kitchen and we discovered that our kids had fed themselves breakfast. And we were just like, praise God. I mean, it's like this milestone in development. You know, I mean, there are Cheerios spread everywhere and there's milk splattered, but we're, we, just, we were just rejoicing. Okay, our kids now know how to feed themselves. They will not starve. If we are absent, they can find Cheerios and milk and a spoon and a bowl. Man, that is growth, right? That's development. We're, we're moving toward maturity because they've taken ownership for their hunger, That's what we want in disciples as well. They begin to be fed by us, but then they begin to say, no, I need to learn to feed myself. I need to learn 
how to study the word on my own, how to pull it apart and apply it to my own life. And they take ownership for their own spiritual growth and then they begin to pass it along to others. And the cycle is complete. And that's what the church is about. When they are called or challenged, not just to be fed, not just to feed themselves, but to turn around and to feed someone else. And we want to be a disciple-making church. We might have great Sunday morning worship and excellent programs and events, but fundamentally the work of the church is to make disciples. I don't want to challenge you to that. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing a, a series on family ministry. Our family ministry team has, uh, had asked for three weeks to talk about the family. And specifically this morning, I've asked Zach to come up and share with you his vision for what this process of discipleship looks like within the family. Zach? Thank you, Brian. Well, my name is Zach Nigliazzo. Very excited to be here with you today. Um, I've been the children's pastor at Grace for about a year. I got hired last August 20th, so I'm coming up on a year. Before that, I was actually in seminary for three years, and then before that, I was the youth pastor here at Grace from 2003 to 2009, so about seven years. And I have to tell you, um, I do have um, a claim to fame here at Grace Bible Church. I've looked at the records. I think that this is accurate, but I during that time period, I think I hold the title of most prayed for man at this church. Um, and mainly because, and Mary would attest to this, I, I was single. And so everybody wanted me to find a wife. People would come up to me in the hallway, Zach, we're praying for you to find a wife. Thank you. And I knew that, but I was praying for the same thing. And I just wanted to be a, a testimony today that prayer works, okay? Because I found a wife. Yeah, this is my wife. This is Catherine. Um, is Catherine, are you back here? She's right there. That's my beautiful bride. And I would have her stand up, but then she would be my beautiful blushing bride. So we won't have her stand up. But uh, yeah, so we actually got set up the first week I left and went to Dallas to go to seminary. Uh, I got called up. Blind date. We want to set you up. Within a month, we're on our first date. We date for two years. And there you go. The rest is history. We've been married for two years now. Uh, it's been wonderful. It's been awesome. And now we're into that stage where, you know what? We would really like to start a family. And so that's what we're excited about. We're, if God would allow us to do so, we'd love to start that. So that is your new prayer for me. All right? So thank you for praying for that, if you would. Uh, but I absolutely have loved, loved working in children's ministry this last year. Um, I had a great opportunity to grow up with some of my nieces, and my niece and my nephew, uh, that my brother's kids, and it's just been an awesome, awesome experience to watch them grow, but to be a part of kids, to be in kids' lives. My heart, I just want you to hear this because I hope you hear it, me say it all the time. Children's ministry is not just children's ministry. Children's ministry is family ministry. We are pouring into families when we're working with kids. It is an unbelievable privilege to do so. And being part of a family ministry at this church and being a part of a family ministry team, it gives me such a great joy to be able to come this week and to share some things that are going on. So let me recap for you basically where we've been. A couple weeks ago, Brad spoke on the purpose of the family. And he basically shared that 
the family is God's original small group. It's the place where God designed that we would pass on our faith to our kids so that we could launch them out into the world to be impactors and influencers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The week after that, Dusty came up and he spoke. He's in our Club 56 guide. He came up and he spoke on the pillars of the family. And he shared how we have to have strong parents, moms and dads, who stand as strong pillars in their family as individuals having a solid spiritual life and then standing together because they have so much that they hold up in the family. And then if you're a single parent, you've got to be a strong pillar, but you've also got to bring others into your life from the body of Christ, from this family, to join you in that process because it is a crucial thing to be a parent in our culture today. It is so crucial that we do that. And today, I get to talk about a playbook. And a playbook is something that we are developing in our family ministry. One of the things that I love about Brian and his leadership of this church is these three words. And he he stole them from Paul, but he says them to us all the time, and that is excel still more. And he will say that to you. He will say, excel still more. As a disciple of Christ, excel still more as a discipler, as a disciple maker. And he says to us as a staff, excel still more as a staff. What can we do to take this congregation further that they would live out that great commission in this world? And as we have looked at that and we have thought about that, we want to excel still more. And so we are developing some things that we think we can go further and better with you as a congregation. And so that's something that I want to share with you this morning. But before we jump into that, let me paint a scenario for you really quick. Let's say that we're, I'm walking down the children's hallway and I run into you. And right after I ask you to be a volunteer in the children's ministry, I say, hey, um, I have a job description. I have a job for you. You say, oh, Zach, well, okay, will you tell me about this job? And I say, well, let, let me get out this little job description that I wrote share with you about this. First of all, it's going to be really hard. It's going to take long hours. You'll have very little to no vacation and probably no free time. The coworkers you'll be working with are selfish, argumentative, bothersome, and poor communicators. You'll probably be confused most of the time. I can't promise you any training And um, you'll probably feel under-equipped most of the time. There will be some great moments, however, and ultimately it will be worth it. But there's also no guarantee that you'll see any of the results that you hope for. Most days will be monotonous and long. And, unfortunately, there are no boundaries between work and life. It will follow you wherever you go. And did I mention pay? Pay, you don't get paid. In fact, you have to pay to do it. In fact, you're going to have to get a job to pay to do this job. You know who's laughing? People who have kids. (laughs) Because this is the job description of parenting. And I know what you're saying. Let someone else do that. Okay, I've heard of outsourcing. We could outsource this, right? Too many parents are outsourcing these days, quite frankly. Um, It's hard to be a parent. It's a high calling. It's a high challenge. But it is absolutely worth it, and it's one of the most powerful illustrations that we see of who God is and the love that he expresses for humanity. Um, I remember years ago that I was um, growing in my faith. I was in my early 20s, and I was thinking about 
who God was and why he had designed the world the way he had designed it. And, and I asked the question, God, why did you design the family? Why a mom and a dad, a female and a male? Because you said you created them male and female. And why do they come together and, and have a kid that is born in this world and then they raise them? I mean, what, why did you design it that way? And, you know, God didn't speak to me audibly, but I felt like he gave me a picture. And as I thought about that picture, here's what I saw. We are born into this world selfish and sinful. We are about ourselves. We are on our own agenda. We want it our way. We love others conditionally. It's based on my conditions. And, and, if, and, and this is a general picture, right? This is an ideal picture. But we are born into this world, and we should have a parent who loves us unconditionally. So we love conditionally someone who loves us unconditionally. Now, hopefully we mature a little bit and we get over here to another stage of life we call marriage. And now I'm called, as I, as I am with Catherine, to walk into this marriage. And now I'm supposed to love her unconditionally as she loves me unconditionally. And then hopefully, if your prayers come to fruition, we will have a baby. And now I'm called as a parent to love unconditionally someone who will love me conditionally who could rip my heart out, who could disappoint and frustrate, but I'm called to love. Do you see the progress, movement towards this picture of the love of God, the Father who loves us, the Father who loves unconditionally those who he created, those who bear his image? Do you see that? Because that is one of the things that I see in parenting that is so beautiful. There are, so, there are other ways, of course, that we can grab a hold of and understand the love that God has for us. But I am convinced in my own mind that until I really know what it's looked like to bring a child in this world or to adopt a child and bring them into for my family and to say, this is a child that I will love, I might not really grab a hold of how powerful the love of God is for us. So a family is an unbelievable picture. There is a reason why God in Scripture has revealed himself as a father and a son and that we are called the children of God and he has adopted us into his family. What a beautiful picture and a privilege but also a responsibility parents have to display that love of Christ to a world that doesn't know him. I love this verse. This verse is in Romans 1.20. Paul is writing a treatise on sin, and he's ultimately saying people are without an excuse because God is made known even in his creation. Here's what it says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. We stand without excuse because God has clearly been made known through his creation. And most of the time, almost all the time, when I see this verse, this is what comes to mind. I think of the mountains. I've sat on top of of 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado and I look out and I see these valleys and these peaks and I go, "That's, that's the fingerprint of God on the earth. You know, God touched it and the valleys and the mountains formed and there's the fingerprint and... I think of how majestic creation is. Must, God must be so awesome and powerful. And, and look at the, the lakes and look at the ocean and, and, and the canyons and even the details 
of what God has done. Wow. His power, his invisible attributes have been made known. But then, what about this picture? Because you know what? The only thing that God created that bears his image is us. It's not mountains or streams or rivers. And when I look at that, the image of God. Now, we tarnish it, I know, but there's the image of God. The husband and wife loving one another. One of the most beautiful pictures of the Trinity. The husband and wife, two become one flesh. The Trinity, three and one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally one. Three persons. And then look at this. But a husband and wife married loving a child. Created, brought into this world, or even adopted. Loving a child. You see, that to me screams the wonder and the beauty of the God that we believe in. It is a powerful, powerful image, but it is a difficult thing to live as a family in our world today and in our culture. It is a beautiful thing, though. Now, I have this question for you. When you think of walking in your life just on your own to walk with Jesus, it's hard enough. How hard is it when you add marriage? How hard is it when you start adding family? It gets more challenging, doesn't it? Because this baby comes in, especially for parents, this little baby comes into this world naked, wide-eyed, screaming, and helpless. And your job as a believing parent is to take this little baby and bring them all the way over here, 18 years plus or minus several years, to this place of maturity where you launch them out into the world to make an impact for Jesus. And I look at that, and I'm, I'm thinking, how do you do that? Because this kid didn't come with a training manual. We joke about that as parents, right? But how do you do this? This is a long-term discipleship process. How do I do this? And I love this quote. Nothing has made me feel more incompetent as a human being than parenting. You know who said that? Y'all are amen. And let me tell you who said that. Brian Fisher said that. <laughs> now I'm going, oh, Brian is like, he communes with God. I mean, he's like, the, he's the man over here. He goes into his office and he comes out glowing like Moses did when he, <laughs> when he met on the mountain with Jesus. And, you know, you just see it and you're like, how could he say that? You know what I love about him is he is, he is, and this is why I trust him, because he tells it like it is. He doesn't fluff it. It's hard. It's hard to be a parent. It's hard. It's difficult to do that. It's difficult to take that baby and figure this thing out. How do I do this? There's a lot of great biblical truth, but there's not a how-to manual. Brad showed this picture last two weeks ago. And this is a picture, he was at a family camp teaching on Psalm 127, where it talks about kids are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, where we, a skilled warrior can launch out and powerfully impact the world. And blessed is the, the one who has a, a quiver full of arrows. And we look at this and, you know, you got the, the mom and the dad, kind of a two person and one thing going on there, shooting this kid to hit the world, okay? And the question that every parent is asking and needs to ask is how do I form that arrow? How do I get this kid prepared and ready 
to launch. How do I do that? That's the question that should be on a parent's mind. And this is the question that should be on my mind. This is the question that should be on uh, the family ministry team's mind. This is the question that should be on our church's mind as a staff. And here's what it says. Ephesians 4 says this. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Why? To the building up of the body of Christ until we all maintain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The question our parents ask is, how do I do this? The question that I ask and our staff ask is, how do we help you as a parent do this? That's the question that we ask. And we sat down and we've sat down and we've talked and we've thought and we've prayed and we've begged God, give us things. And one of the illustrations that came to our mind as a family ministry staff, is this. It's, it's NASCAR. God loves NASCAR. Did you know that? No, he gave us, I, I, one of our staff came up with this illustration. It was kind of profound, but he said this, you know, in NASCAR, you got these cars going around a track, you know, 200 plus miles an hour, and they're flying by the seat of their pants, and they go, 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 and then they come in for a pit stop. And we gas, they gassed up, they get some new tires, and they head back out on the track. And we got to thinking about our families, that the church is the pit crew and our families are running around that track in minivans going 200 miles an hour in a minivan. And, and if you're cool, if you're not, if you're not cool enough for a minivan, you got an SUV, right? And you're going out there and you're going around the track of life as a family and your kids are, dad, dad, go faster. And your mom, slow down, you know, and, and you're going around this track and you come in on a Sunday or a time during the week and you get this spiritual pit stop. Well, we've got qualified pit crew who bring the word of God and gas you up and fill the fuel tank and give you truth to grab a hold of and give you challenges to implement in your life. And we put on some new tires and we send you out on your way and we feel like we're doing a pretty good job with our pit stop. But as we think about excelling still more, one of the things that occurred to us and we think about is one of the ways that you have a really successful NASCAR team is that they have headsets. A NASCAR pit crew boss has a headset and he's talking to the person that's driving that car. He's talking to that family. We'd be talking to that family as they're going through that on that racetrack. And we're not just seeing them on a Sunday, but we're talking to them as they're going around that track. We know how they're doing. We know what's going on. There's a more of a connection there. And we feel like that's one of the ways that we can improve and grow and excel still more for you so that we can help come alongside and say, how do we help you launch this arrow or these arrows into this world? So one of the things that transpired out of this, we were in, this, in the bride's room, we call it the conference room, and we were having a family ministry staff meeting. It lasts about an hour and a half. And that hour and a half meeting on a late afternoon in January, turned into a five-hour meeting where we felt like God started to, to, to grab us and bring some unity on our minds and our thoughts, and we were asking God about how can we help better equip families. And something that came out for us is this, this idea, this, this plan that I'm talking about. And great enough, it ended up actually being what Brian talked about. 
this process of discipleship, and we looked at it from the idea of the stages of spiritual development of kids in a family. And it's very similar because it's discipleship. That's how God designed the family. It's where we do discipleship. And so it fits perfectly. Now, I've added some some slight modifications to Brian's model here. And here's what I've added. This is the process of discipleship for parents. We commit to disciple our kids. It starts with commitment. It's got to be intentional. We lay a foundation for faith for our kids. We teach them about who Jesus is. We share the gospel with them. We expose them to biblical truth and stories. When they become believers, we build the framework. We teach them how to pray, how to read the word and study it, how to how to learn, it did it at the same exact time. Sorry about that. We built a framework for faith. Then we cultivate ownership. As they grow, they start to learn to feed themselves. And we help them along that process. And then we call our kids to pass along their faith to others. We call them to the maturity of discipleship, to go and do it themselves. And then I've added one, walk alongside them in life. Walk alongside them in life. Because see, this is for you empty nesters out there. Parenting never ends. If you're a grandparent and you still got parents, I mean, you still got kids, even if they're grown, you're still a parent. And you continue to walk alongside and nurture and build and challenge and encourage your kids. This is a full-fledged, when you have a baby till you go into the grave, you have a process of discipling your kids. And this walk alongside them is the idea of Timothy and Paul. Paul discipled Timothy, brought him up in the faith, he challenged him, he cultivated him, he gave him ownership, he put him out there, planted a church with him in Ephesus. And then later on, think about the stories they shared when he'd come in from missionary journeys and he and Timothy would sit and talk about what they'd seen and how they'd grown and how I'd grown and what I taught and those kinds of things. This is, we continue to be parents the whole time. That is a beautiful picture of the process of discipleship. And what we have done is we've looked at what other churches have been doing. We've looked at where our church is, our specific situation, and we've come up with four basic parts. This is the basic idea, but we've came up with four little strategies that we think that we can take this and really develop it into something that we can equip you even better with. And here's what they are. Number one, We want to bring the wisdom together. Okay, Zach, what do you mean by that? Well, if I went through this room and I asked everyone in here, how did you come to faith in Christ? I would get as many different stories as there are people in here. If I came to you and I said, how do you connect with God? Again, yeah, you might say prayer, but how do you pray? When do you pray? How often do you pray? What do you pray through? Do you pray through the Psalms? Do you pray on your own? Do you pray walking? Do you pray close? There's everyone would have a slightly different way that they're connecting. Because here's the deal. Nobody is the same. We're all unique. We have different experiences, different hearts, desires, life, different ways of meeting people and meeting with God. And so even in families, if I could bring families in there going, how are you passing your faith onto your kids? There will be people who would stand up here and they would go, you know what, this worked and this worked, but this did not work. This was great for our family. I go talk to another family. Hey, this was awesome and this worked, but you know what, that didn't quite work. We never tried that. And if I could take everyone in here and pull the wisdom that you have 
and put that together and then offer that up to all the parents in here. How much more could you learn from one another? How much could we say, wow, that really worked for you. Let me try implementing that in my family. Or hey, you know what? That didn't work. Maybe I shouldn't try that. I was thinking about that. There's a lot of wisdom in this room. And if you're a college student, a high school student, a junior high student, or you're single, I want to tell you something. Don't think this doesn't apply to you. You have experience. You have wisdom. If you're a junior high student, you could say, you know what, when my parents did that, that really changed my life. And if I could get a hold of that information and pass that on to another parent, they could implement that in someone's life. If you're a college student, you go, you know what, my parents tried this. It really didn't quite work that well. That's good information. Everyone in here is part of a family, and everyone in here has wisdom to bring. Because I can stand up here and give biblical truth. Brian can stand up here and give biblical truth, but just like we know about biblical truth, there's so many different ways to apply aspects of truth that God has given us. And I love this phrase. I came up with it myself. Is that that arrogant? Life experience is a great lens for application. Life experience is a great lens for application. And as you've walked through life and you've gained experience and wisdom, if I could grab all that and package that to hand to our families, what an unbelievable tool that would be. So first, I want to gather wisdom. Second, I want to put information at your fingertips as parents. There is so much information out there, not just in this church, but there's books, there's blogs, there's resources. There is so much information and misinformation. Do you have time going around that track in the minivan to read 500 books and look at all the next things that are coming out? No, but if I could get our staff and we could take it and filter it and get some families to help us really maybe read a book and build a synopsis for you and bring this down and and bring it down to a package for you where you could really sort through it and go, here's a quick way that I can look at some stuff and implement this stuff in my life as a parent for my kids. That's one of the things we want to do is bring all of that together and put it at your fingertips. In each one of our stages, committing to family, laying foundations, building framework, all of those aspects, because this is an 18-year process. Can you imagine 18 years of day in, day out? How do I build this in my kid? There's so much that we could hand you. It sounds overwhelming, but remember, it's a day-by-day process. And what if I gave you a nugget and it was easy to find? Next, we want to keep intentional parenting in front of you. Parenting is difficult. We've already discussed that. Being intentional over the long haul is a difficult thing. And sometimes one of the best ways to describe a role is to describe what the role is not. And let me say this real quick to parents and anyone who's going to disciple anyone this semester. Here's what you cannot do. You cannot make someone believe in Jesus. You can't argue someone into it. You can try. You can't develop someone's spiritual life. You can't make them have a spiritual walk with Jesus. What our role as parents or anyone who's going to be a church member to disciple other people and to challenge them to maturity is to lift up the person of Jesus Christ. To be a light, the brightest light we can, to expose them to the truth, to show them the truth, to model the truth before them, but it God has to work in their lives. God has to draw people to himself. We can't make it happen, but God has chosen to use us. And God has chosen us as the body of Christ to be the light and to be the ones who lift him up so that others may see and believe and grow. 
But what that means, though you can't make it happen, God has given us a command and God given us a thought. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, and I think this is speaking to parents, says this, the words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Diligently, time and time again. That means you're diligent. It means you're consistently bringing the truths of God that God has laid on your heart before your kids. It's a powerful thing, but it's a hard thing to do. And one of the things that I feel like we have to do is to keep that challenge, that command, that commission in front of you as parents. Because it's easy to get distracted. And it's easy to forget. And it's easy to chase other things. Besides remember that we have these little kids that we need to continue to move towards spiritual development. And so we want to keep you in that realm, parenting. And here's the warning I want to give to you. If you're a parent and you decide to check out, if you're too busy, I don't know what to do, or I'm just plain scared of how to raise my kids in a worldly world towards spiritual maturity, they will still be forming their understanding of God, their theology, and their spiritual life by what they see in you. Whether you're intentional or not, you are leaving a legacy with your kids. And so what we want to do is say this, you're going to leave a legacy for better or for worse, and we want to keep challenging you to be intentional and give them the milk and give them the meat so they can walk with Jesus and know him. And the last thing that is part of our strategy that we want to to develop is we want to just have a place of encouragement. Look, no parent is perfect. We will fail and fail and fail as parents. We'll try things and it won't work, but here's what we need, encouragement. And we want to be a place where there is grace. We're a Grace Bible Church after all, where there is safety and there is a place where we can come together and say, hey, let me help you stand up and keep going. My wife has run four marathons. I have run 400 yards is what I've run. And she knows what it takes for this long-term process to take one step after step after step and to keep going knowing the end is way down the road. And one of the things I love about her is when we have friends who are going to run in a marathon, she is tenacious about us showing up with posters and enthusiasm and standing there and encouraging them so they can keep taking one step after another. And that's something that we want to make sure that we are developing a place in this church where we bring the vast amount of wisdom together so that we can put it at the fingertips of other parents so that they can know and have ideas and implement things in their, in their families. But we want to keep them focused that this is intentional and we've got to stay in the race as we encourage them along. That's what we feel like. That's what I feel like we are excited to do with our family ministry is to excel still more. And I want to close today by giving you a couple of examples. Because here's something, let's say, let me give you, there could be a hundred ways that we could implement prayer in our family. I want to give you six. Just to give you an example. And here's what I did. You know what I did? I went and talked to some families. And I said, what are you doing with your kids? 
And these were ideas I had not thought of and I hadn't heard anybody else doing necessarily. But they said, hey, these are some ways that we are implementing prayer in our family. So I want to challenge you. If you've got kids, younger or older, pick one of these and implement prayer in your family this semester. If you are going to take up Brian's challenge, which I hope everyone will, and you're going to disciple someone this semester, I want you to pick up the final one, and I want you to start praying for someone that you might disciple, okay? But let me give you some quick examples of what this might look like, okay? Here's a simple one. You could teach your little child, this is a four-year-old, you could teach them to sing a song, okay? Watch this. Thank you, Jesus, for our food, for our food, and your many blessings, and your many blessings. Amen. Amen. Clap, clap, clap your hands, put them in the air. Clap, clap, clap your hands, fold them for a prayer. What an easy way to introduce a young child to prayer. It's not that cheesy. Kids engaged, thinking about it. And you know what they do after that? They actually pray. They spend time praying. Um, Here's another one. You could go get with your family and you've got some kids. You could have the youngest one start and then just go around the circle. Youngest to oldest. Mom or dad. And finish it. Just have them start with a simple, hey, what do you want to thank God for today? Just start to encourage and develop this culture of prayer in your family. Here's another one. I talked to a family that got another, this this is a family with a four-year-old, and they are teaching this kid acts. Anybody know acts? It's a way you pray, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And the other day, this family member was telling me his wife's mother was in town and had put this little boy to bed. And he said, wait, I got to do my four things. Four years old. He said, I got to do my four things. And he said, I got I to do the A. And so he prayed, God, thank you for who you are and how you love me. You are amazing. Thank you for that. And then he comes in and he says, and Father, I w- and God, I want to thank you for my parents and for my bed and for those things. Or, excuse me, that was Thanksgiving. He did a confession. You know, he confessed some things he had done wrong that day to his little sister. Then he did his Thanksgiving, and then he did his supplication. He prayed on behalf of his parents. He said, I want you to help them, help mommy, because she's working really hard in some things. And, and grandma thought he was done, and he said, no, i got to add one more. I'm adding helps. So now it's acts, okay, acts. And he, he said, I want to add helps. And so he asked God for help with some things. A four-year-old learning to pray with acts. It's a beautiful little picture, right? Here's another one. Another dad shared with me. And here's what he said. He said, you know what? We, we found this out through a VBS in town. But here's what we're doing with our kid this, this summer. We've got some popsicle sticks and a cup, and we put it on her bedside. And every night when we, walk, when we put her to bed, she grabs a couple popsicle sticks, and on those popsicle sticks are written either a person or something to pray for. And she grabs a popsicle stick and prays for that and puts it back. Grabs a popsicle stick and prays for it and puts it back. What a great way to teach a little elementary school kid how to be intentional in her prayer. Here's one more. You got older kids, junior high kids, popsicles might not work. 
okay, with a high school student, right? But here's one thing. Well, here's something you could do. What if you just went up to your kid and you said this, how can I pray for you today? You model it. How can I pray for you today? And then you pray for them. Either right there or if that's not comfortable, you pray for them when they leave. But you ask them consistently, how can I pray? You're modeling prayer in your home. You're giving them the example of it. You're showing them that you're putting it into practice. Here's the last one that, that I want to say. And this, you know, again, think about age groups or if you've got a college student or if you've got a high school student and they're not necessarily jiving with you or they're not interested in spiritual things or whatnot, here's something you can do. Teach, model prayer in your life. You can do this for anybody, even if you're going to disciple someone. Here it is. And you guys have probably been challenged this before, but here's the deal. Keep a prayer journal and pray for very specific things. And when you see something answered, Find an arena to share that story. If you're a family, share it at the dinner table. Hey, you know what? You remember when I, pr- I prayed for this six months ago? Here's how I saw God answer that prayer specifically. And here's why I say that. Because for many of us, we live in a culture where we say, I want it now. It's a microwave generation. It's, if it doesn't work for me, then I'm not going to put any time into it. And for a high school kid to see a mom or dad praying and seeing answered prayers and seeing things happening, they'll go, you know, that's working. God does answer, but would you, maybe I might start praying. Would you tell me about how you prayed or what did you pray? You model it. And you can do that. Anyone in this room could do that and share those things with people that you meet in life. So I want to I encourage all of us to take on the banner of discipleship that Brian has asked us to this semester. And I want to encourage all of us to try to implement prayer either in our own life or in our kids' lives this semester. And as we build this, this plan of parenting in grace, I hope to have so much information for you to be able to, over the years to come and this next semester, to implement things consistently in your family's life. And here's how you'll know. I want to give you this last thought. One of the ways you can know if you're, to, to measure your own success, here's how you know you're a failure if you don't do anything. But here's success if you just do it one time. That's success. You know what's more success? If you do it a second time. And the last thing I would say, you're really successful if you do this, if you just keep doing it. Even the simple things, just keep doing it. So if you would allow me, I want to close this in prayer. Thank you for hanging with me. Father, I thank you so much that you have loved us with a love that is unconditional when we are a rebellious bunch. Father, thank you that you have created this world to show us who you are and you've used the family to do it. Thank you for moms and dads. Thank you for them who have poured into our lives and even if they're not our physical moms and dads, the spiritual moms and dads who have discipled us and poured into us and loved us and pushed us and challenged us to grow and to walk with you and to become mature. Father, I thank you for the discipleship process and I pray that we would go out and do it this semester. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. You're dismissed.